Now, good evening. Welcome to our Christmas Eve service. So glad that you're here uh, worshiping with us. On the way in, uh, hopefully you grabbed on the tables uh, one of our candles. Um, there's also a few other items. There was a gold coin, a piece of paper, and uh, something to write with as well. If uh, you didn't grab one of those, when we uh, have a moment to greet one another, you can head back out to the main entrance and, and grab anything that you might have missed. So with that being said, I know all of you just sat down. I'd like to invite you to stand back up and greet each other and say Merry Christmas to one another. All right, well, we have a special evening uh, planned together, one that has worship, some interaction pieces, as well as a reflection on Jesus uh, coming into uh, the world. And uh, we've given it the title of the day that love was born. And so uh, with that, let's continue um, in our worship. As Adam said, tonight we gather to remember the coming of Jesus. This is a story we tell every year. A baby born in Bethlehem. Angels appearing to the shepherds in the field. A star in the sky. But this, this isn't just any story. This is a true story. Perhaps many of you have even memorized it. For example, if I say to you, for unto us a child is born, you would reply, unto us a son is given, yes. You see, that one prophecy is just a small piece of the grand narrative written by God across all of human history. I want us to see, hear, and experience that grand narrative together here this evening. To do that, we're gonna use an ancient practice called storytelling. Now, storytelling requires two parts, me, the storyteller, and you all, the listeners. It also requires tremendous accuracy. So much so that in the ancient world, to distort a story was to distort common memory. See, there's a special weight to what we're doing here this evening. And it's my privilege to lead you as we move through this night of storytelling and worship and experience the incredible story of God's love for you, for me. So I invite you to sit back, open your hearts, soak in all that God has for us this evening.
sit or stand for any of these songs, but I would invite you to stand on this one right here. opens the history of mankind with these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
The writer of Genesis tells us in sweeping detail how he then created the land and the sea, the sky and the rivers and all living creatures. He then created man and woman, Adam and Eve, humanity. That tells us that they lived with God. They walked with him in a garden named Eden. Now Eden was infinitely more beautiful than anything we've ever seen. It was teeming with untold potential as Adam and Eve lived there in perfect relationship with God, where he provided for their every need with nothing but the best of what their creator could give them. They had it all, except this one tree. In the middle of the garden, God had instructed them not to eat from. This seemed good as Adam and Eve enjoyed every bit of what God had given them until that one day, that deceitful snake, Satan, showed up and sold them a rather convincing lie. He told them that God was holding out on them, that there was still better to be had and God was holding them back from it. They would just eat from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. They could actually become like God himself. So the longer they stared at the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, not only was it pleasing to the eye for food, but it seemed to be the doorway to untold power and pleasure. So with visions of greater prosperity in their hearts, Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and believe the lie that they could do better by forsaking their creator taking matters into their own hands. Truly, this moment could have been called the bite heard round the world. With the sinking of their teeth into the forbidden fruit, Adam and Eve changed not only the course of their lives, but the course of the world and all of history as sin and death entered. Sin severed mankind's relationship with God. No longer would God protect and provide for his creation, but they would be on their own as mere finite human beings trying desperately to find contentment, security, and purpose in a world that would now work against them because of their sin. It was a curse that couldn't be reversed. Sin, death, and separation were now certain, and there was nothing they could do in their own power to change that. Yet even in the midst of God's pronouncement of the curse on mankind in the world order, we see a glimmer of hope and a passage that was certainly read time and time again in many a synagogue throughout the generations, God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the livestock and more than any animal of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will make enemies of you and the woman and of your offspring and her descendant. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Do you see what took place here? In the midst of God's pronouncement of the curse on mankind, God tells Satan, that deceiving serpent, that one day one of Eve's descendants would defeat him. God was already preparing a plan to fix what his creation had broken. Because of sin, we are lost, broken, beyond our own ability to restore the perfect relationship that was once had between God and mankind. We needed help, 
something only God could provide. Perhaps he would send a savior, a king.
It's highly probable that Adam and Eve heard what God had said to the serpent about this one who would come one day and set all things straight. But they would never see him in their lifetime. Thousands of years would pass. God's creation would continue to experience the futility of life outside of his provision. Even God's chosen people, Israel, promised incredible blessing by God, would continue to choose their own way and never experience the right relationship with God that we were intended to have. But God never gave up on them. He's never given up on us. He continued to make preparation for us, his plan to bring salvation to us. God's law would continue to point us to our need for a savior. And when God's people found themselves exiled in punishment because of their continued rejection of him, he would send them prophets, messengers, who would tell Israel time and time again that he would one day send a Messiah, a savior, a deliverer, a king. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise up out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Of all the times you've heard these stories, have you ever considered how many prophecies were told of the coming deliverer? A thousand years before Jesus' birth, it was prophesied that he would be a king, become a king in the line of King David. 900 years before Jesus' birth, it was prophesied that shepherds and royalty would worship this king. 700 years, it was prophesied that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. 600 years before that he would be born in Bethlehem. All told, the Bible has well over 200 prophecies of the Messiah and who would be the hope of Israel and the entire world. But have you ever considered how monumentally unlikely it would be for one person to fulfill all of these prophecies? Let me give you this example. When you came in tonight, you received a gold coin, yes? One of those gold coins has an X written on it. If I were to come out into the audience and ask for that one coin, the probability that I would find the one with the X on it would be one and maybe 150, right? Not impossible, but also not likely. So let's take this one step further. Have you ever considered the probability of one man fulfilling just eight of the over 200 Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. Just eight. Let's say we take the entire area of the state of Texas and we fill it with silver dollars, two feet high. We take one silver dollar, we mark an X on it and we throw it out in the middle of there. And then we stir up the entirety of those silver dollars spread out across the state. And then we ask one man to be blindfolded. We tell him, 
You can travel as far as you'd like, but you can only bend down once and pick up one coin. The probability of that man finding the one coin with the X on it is the same as one man fulfilling just eight of those over 200 Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. That's one in 100 million billion. Or for you math buffs out there, that's one in 100 quadrillion. That's 17 zeros. It seems pretty impossible, doesn't it? But not impossible for the creator of all things. God has been unfolding his plan of salvation for the world from the very beginning of the Garden of Eden. So God's people waited, never giving up hope, praying for a miracle and longing for peace on earth. They waited for God to send their Messiah and they waited for years, hundreds of years, full of silence. Until that one silent night when the silence was broken by a baby's cry. Light broke through the darkness to proclaim the Messiah had come.
But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. The light is finally here. There's a tiny baby born in Bethlehem. There seemed nothing magnificent about him. Not his form, not his family, not his circumstances. Yet the same prophecy that foretold of his birth in Bethlehem also proclaims that he is the coming king meant to save and rule Israel. Israel, however, was looking for a much different kind of king. This little baby held in the arms of a common teenage girl was nothing like the king they were expecting. I want you to take a moment and put aside what you know about the king God sent. When you think about what a king looks like to you, what do you think of? When you came in, you received a piece of paper and something to draw with. No matter what your age, I want you to take a moment to sketch out a simple picture of what comes to mind when you think of a king. Maybe you think of a king of Europe king of England with a palace and horse-drawn carriages, all the pomp and circumstance that comes along with being part of the royal family. Maybe you think of a medieval king, like King Arthur. Think of his fortress-like castle, a deep moat, and his knights of the round table with their shining sleek armor as they fight to preserve his kingdom. As Israel looked forward to that day that this king would arrive to save them, they envisioned a king that would look a lot like the kings of other nations. A powerful ruler, a warrior, a conqueror, a king who would ride in on a white horse and rule with unmatched power and authority, a king who would not only overthrow their enemies, but who would usher in a time of everlasting peace and economic prosperity. A king, unlike anything the modern world had ever seen, that would reign forever. So imagine. Imagine the religious leaders' response when their king, their savior, their Messiah, didn't fit the picture they had created in their minds. What we often miss is that their plans focused on worldly prosperity. So quickly and easily forgetting that God wasn't focused on their comfort in this world, but on providing an answer to their hopelessly lost condition because of sin. So God didn't send them a king riding in on a white horse. Rather, he sent them a tiny baby Savior of the world, born to a poor family of no pedigree, born in a cave or a stable, laid in a feeding trough, 
yet whose arrival was announced by the heavenly host who gave worship and glory to God as he initiated his plan to save all of mankind, to save you and to save me.
Yes, we adore you. Amen. Right. I love Christmas Eve. You love Christmas Day. Well, I love Christmas Day too. Ever since I was a little boy, I would go to church on Christmas Eve with my family, and, and we would participate in, in candlelight, when, and which we'll do that a little later on in, um, in a few minutes. But I have these great fond memories of being a child and, and lighting the candle and then passing it on to uh, someone else and then looking around and seeing like the warm glow, the light on people's faces as we sing Silent Night um, together. And uh, it's just really uh, one of my favorite parts of the year. And one of the songs that I love singing the most is one we just did, which was Oh Holy Night. Oh Holy Night has this one verse, there's so much richness in all those verses, um, but one that says, his law is love. The law of God is love, that God is love. And as we've been talking about this tonight, the idea of that the love of God is born in his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting light. And that word love, love is important. Because for us today, love has a whole different medley of meanings and values and depth, Right? I could say, I, I love my wife, and I could also use that same word, I love cookies. And obviously, I mean two different qualities or depths or values of love, right? And sometimes we have this love in, in our world gets confused because we can also say, I love an inanimate object. Like, I've heard people say, I love my phone, how does that compare when we think about what God's word says, that he loves us and that his love is what sent his son um, into the world? When we look at John 3.16, John, the gospel writer, adds this word so, S-O, so. It is an adverb. It's, it brings a modification to the verb either right after, which is loved, or it also can mean the idea of, of what's preceding um, the word so. And even for us, the word so can mean different things. Um, we have a, a teenager at home, and sometimes uh, I'll say to Sarah, hey, um, we'll say to uh, one of our kids, hey, we're going to go out grocery shopping. And our kids will say, so? Ever happened to you? Or other times I've been at the school and the teacher will say to the kids, all right, tomorrow we're having an ice cream party. And one of the kids will go, oh, I so, 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 so love ice cream. And so, so can be used to emphasize, and that's what John is doing. It's emphasizing added in intensity to the love of God. But how can we really understand what does this love of God look like? Well, we know from what's after it that it means God loved the world so much that he sent his son 
right? Then if we get the other idea of so, we can back up and we see that God's so loved the world that what Jesus says is the preceding idea, which is the Son of Man will be lifted up and hung on a pole. And so how does God define love? God defines love by both by sending his son into the world to save the world by having him be lifted up on a cross and dying in our place. And as many times as we've heard tonight of the prophecies and throughout the scriptures, we know that people, we have rejected God over and over and over again. And if it was up to us, we are people that often kind of will reject others if something happened to us. It's kind of conditional, and, but we're just grateful that God doesn't treat us in that same way. Because the love of God, so God so loved the world, this love is something that is so great, it isn't flippant. It's not based on just an emotion or a feeling. It is a love that's unconditional. It is a, a love that is sacrificial that we see in Jesus on the cross. It is a love of a giver, not based on the condition of the receiver. It isn't earned, but it's freely given. And so God says to us, it doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter the depth of your rejection. I still love you. And so I give you my very best, my son. And Paul summarizes it in Romans 5, verse 8. Paul wrote, but God still demonstrates his own love in this, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is the love that we are remembering, the love that was born, the love that has come into the world. And in a few moments, we're going to light our, our candles and we're gonna sing two songs. We're gonna sing Adore, then we're also gonna sing Silent Night together and um, share the light of Christ. And as we do, I would encourage you to make sure your, your flame is just at the kind of top here. And then as you light it, the person that has the flame, you dip it into, uh, this is the flame over here, unlit candle does the dipping, okay? Some instructions, otherwise we get melted wax and candles and all that stuff. But I know I've been doing this for over four decades. And for the first 18 years of my life, I didn't get it. For the first 18 years of my life, I would sit here and I would think about cookies and presents or the party afterwards or what comes next. And yeah, I knew that Jesus came and we celebrate that, we sang songs, but I did not understand that he came because he loved me. He came because I am in need of a savior. And he loves me so much that he wants to give me life with him forever. So that's what we remember tonight. That's what we celebrate tonight. That's why we worship. Because there's new life in Jesus. And so I'd like for you to consider tonight 
as you light this candle, maybe you're a person that's here just kind of walking through the motions. Maybe you're here and you're really just thinking about what you're doing after this. Maybe you're thinking about presence. Maybe you're here because your family wanted you to be here. But maybe you're here because God is calling you. Maybe you're here because God wants for you to receive his love. So if that's you, as you hold your candle tonight and there's a flame out here, that you would say to Jesus, you are the light of the world. May you come and light it in me. Forgive me. Make me new again. And if that's you, share that good news with someone when we're done here tonight. Someone you came with, someone up here. Maybe you're also here and you've, you've had the candle and you've lit it and the light has been lit, Jesus, for a long time in you. And I just want to be here to tell you, keep going. Let that light shine. And as you receive the love of God, that it fills you as you go and love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Maybe a third grouping here. You have light the candle and maybe you kind of feel the light in you is a little dim, not as bright as it used to be. So if that's you, I'd invite you to say a prayer, something along the lines of Jesus. You call me to come to you when I am weak and weary and may you restore my soul. May you renew me. May you fill me with your strength in my weakness. So I don't know where we all are this evening, but we're probably somewhere on this spectrum. So we'll pray and then we'll, we'll light our candles. So Jesus, we do thank you for tonight. We thank you for the reminders that your love has come into the world. Your love has been born. God, as we light our candles, may what we light exteriorly may also be lit inside. Fill us, Lord Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen.
Sing that first verse again. Thank you for joining us this evening. Um, tomorrow, have a m- Merry Christmas. We um, have different f- uh, few service options that uh, we've made available. Um, first, beginning at 7 a.m. is we have a- an online uh, service that uh, premieres at 7 o'clock in the morning if you're up early. And, but it will be available anytime throughout the day. Also, if you would want to come here at 9 o'clock in the morning, our doors will be open. Um, Pastor Andy will be uh, here to to greet all those that want to worship um, together. And uh, if you have joined us this evening and you don't have a church fellowship or a church family that you call home, please uh, be more than welcome to come back and uh, join us next Sunday on New Year's Day. We have one service at 1045. We're going to have some food and fellowship before that beginning at 10. And then on January 8th, um, we'll have kind of everything back as, as normal, 9 o'clock service, 1045 um, uh, service. So thank you again very much for joining us. You can pay, place your cups on the, in the containers on the way out. And Merry Christmas.